Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. Uh, incidentally, if you enjoy what you hear, if you would circle over to iTunes and leave us a review, I would be most, most, most grateful. Uh, I think today we've got a real game changer of an interview. I'm thrilled to be talking with Jeff Chilton, who's the president of Namex, perhaps uh, one of the larger companies in our space who you've never heard of. Let me just give you his background. And from that, you'll learn really quickly where we're going today, what our topic's going to be. Uh, Jeff was raised in the Pacific Northwest. He studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s. In 1973, he started work on commercial mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington. And during the next 10 years, he became production manager, uh, responsible for the cultivation of over 2, million two million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year. He was also involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster, and enoki mushrooms, which resulted in the earliest U.S. fresh shiitake sales in 1978. In fact, I remember my mom bringing those home. Mm -hmm. um, in, late, in the late 70s, he founded Mycomedia, which held four mushroom conferences in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and they brought together educators and experts and scientists of all kind in um, mushroom identity identification, ethnomycology, and cultivation. Uh, during this period, Jeff uh, co-authored the highly acclaimed book, The Mushroom Cultivator, which was published in 1983. In the 80s, he operated a mushroom spawn business, and in 89, he started his current company, Namex, a business that in introduced medicinal mushrooms to the U.S. Uh, nutritional supplement industry. He has traveled extensively in China during the 90s, attending conferences, visiting research facilities, mushrooms, fa mushroom farms, and um, he organized the first organic mushroom production uh, seminar in China in the late 90s. Uh, a founding me member of the World Society for Mushroom Biology and Mushroom Products in 1994, uh, and a member of the International Society for Mushroom Science, uh, Jeff's company was the first to offer a complete line of certified organic mushroom extracts to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry, uh, and these uh, are used, you know, by, by companies of all kinds and are appreciated for their um, high quality and also the scientific analysis of the active compounds. And, you know, I had probably a three-hour conversation with you, Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a game changer. It was a profound game changer for me. It has... Um, shifted the way that I'm using medicinal mushrooms in practice. So the folks listening, most, most folks are clinicians and, and savvy, uh, savvy consumers who, who uh, want to know the latest and the best. And of course, medicinal mushrooms are now on our radar big time. And the research behind them is, is beautiful. And we understand uh, the power potential of using medicinal mushrooms with our patients. Uh, however, 
you know, you've been dedicated, you know, for your life, really, to product quality and uh, really determining whether or not we're getting what we're paying for. Mushroom, medicinal mushrooms aren't cheap, and uh, you have to dose relatively high when you want to achieve uh, a certain outcome. And we'll talk all about we'll talk about that later on. Um, but we're going to spend a good chunk of time discussing. Um, product quality and how you uh, are, you know, a big voice in bringing that to the fore in this world. Um, so, but before we do that, I want to just back up and do a little primer on all things mushrooms. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Jeff, and, you know, just welcome. I appreciate you being here with me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here, Cara. So... Well, I guess what I, I would say first of all is that, you know what I find when, I, when I'm out there, I find a lot of people have a fairly good idea of what mushrooms do, but not very many people know much about product quality, and that's, that's particularly true, even with practitioners, and, and it's really unfortunate, and I understand, because practitioners are very busy people, and they can't keep up on a lot of things, so when it comes to medicinal mushrooms, they don't know a lot about product quality, and, and the fact of the matter is, is up until recently, there haven't been a lot of tests that we can use to actually determine product quality. Today we have those tests and, and certainly we'll talk about that, but um, mm -hmm. in terms of, of uh, mushrooms themselves and, and just a brief history of that, you know, um, mushrooms have always been wildcrafted. They've been with us for thousands of years as food and mushrooms are a great food. In fact, uh, in the 1700s in Britain, they used to call mushrooms poor man's meat which I thought was really interesting because people, yeah. a lot of people say, oh, mushrooms are quite meaty. And yeah. now we have these big portobellos that you can slice them into steaks. And yeah, things. yeah. So it's really interesting. But, but uh, the, in terms of cultivation in Europe, cultivation really came kind of late. And, and it started by people just digging up the ground where mushrooms grew and implanting uh, that into a bed of uh, similar materials like pasture compost or something like that. That's how it started but in china in the 12th century they actually discovered how to grow shiitake mushrooms so really china was the birthplace of uh, mushroom cultivation and the key to cultivating mushrooms is what do you use for the seed and, and mushrooms don't have seeds so figure that one out how do you plant this thing and you, if you don't have seeds so ultimately what what they figured out, well, mushrooms have spores, by the way, that's how they reproduce. People figured out, okay, you can't use spores as seeds. So they were able to, and they figured out that you could uh, take a piece of the mushroom or take the spores, germinate them in a Petri dish, and you would grow a fine uh, filament, which is called mycelium. So for what we call mushroom spawn or seed, Live mycelium is what is used to actually, as our seed, to grow mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So that, that was uh, um, actually something that was discovered in, the, the, um, oh, uh, in terms of pure culture in the early 1900s. That was a game changer for mushroom cultivation. Uh, today, they, they can make spawn from many different mushrooms. Uh, the other thing that they do with mushrooms is they actually can take that mycelium and put it into very large tanks of liquid and, and in what they call fermentation and grow out large amounts of pure mycelium. And, and that's something that's gone on. And that's actually where when people say, oh, well, you know, mushrooms are, are involved in the production of, uh, of, of um, penicillin, for example. Well, penicillin is not a mushroom. It is a fungus, and it's what we call an imperfect fungus. And yes, indeed, uh, fungi will produce antibiotics and other compounds, and they have done that traditionally in fermentation technologies. So it sounds like we've come a long way in terms of our ability to cultivate mushrooms. China clearly in the fore, starting in the 12th century, but we've evolved our ability to do this. And so wild crafting, we're not reliant on wild crafting to the same extent. No, that's absolutely right. Today, and, and this is what's really interesting, is that, that 
China produces 85% of the world's mushrooms. And when you think of that, you think, wow, that, that is pretty incredible that one country is producing that many. But mushrooms have been part of an Asian tradition for, for thousands of years as food. In fact, in China, they, there are at least 12 different mushrooms in the market at any time for food use. And then, of course, that's where uh, medicinal mushrooms were put into practice in traditional Chinese medicine. So that's, that's where that tradition comes from, for, for using mushrooms uh, as medicine. And, and you know, just to, to sort of start here in the sense of, I really want people to understand the different stages mm-hmm. of what we call a medicinal mushroom, because that's, that's something right. that very, very important, especially to what we're going to be talking about today. So, so we're talking about a fungal organism, and this organism is, is very specific. It's what we would call a perfect fungus, which means it's a fungus that not only grows in a, a uh, vegetative stage, like that fungus that produces penicillin, but also it produces a perfect stage, which we call a mushroom. So the way this life cycle works of this organism is we have a spore. The spore will land in nature. It will be uh, in the ground, uh, on wood. It will germinate. When multiple spores germinate, they germinate into a very fine filament. They will come together. They will fuse together and form a network. This network of fungal filaments that come from the spore is called mycelium. Mycelium is the vegetative state of the organism. Mycelium is, is in the ground, it's in wood, it, it is out there spreading as far as it can reach nutrients. So as long as it has nutrients, it will continue to spread. And every year when conditions are right, like here in the Northwest right now, which is the fall, temperatures lower, we get a lot of water and up comes a mushroom. And that's what we would call a fruiting body. So the mycelium is the vegetative body. It's, the, it's in a sense the body of this fungal organism. And when conditions are right, it will put up a mushroom, which is the fruiting body. The mushroom stage is very short. The mycelial stage can be perennial, mm-hmm. which is why when you, when you talk to a, a, a mushroom uh, a hunter, they will also often say, oh, well, I've got special spots to, to hunt my mushrooms and I can't take you there. It's secret. Well, <laughs> what happens is that those mushrooms will come back in the same spot every year as long as there's food to continue to feed that mycelium. Right. So, so we will have a spore that germinates into a filament that uh, multiple filaments come together into a network, which is called mycelium. Uh, that can be perennial. The mushroom is formed from that mycelium when conditions are right. Uh, That stage may last anywhere from two days to 30 days. It's a very short stage. And that mushroom, as it matures, it produces spores. Those spores drop down out of the mushroom gills and they complete that life cycle. So, So when we talk about mushrooms or medicinal mushrooms, we have what I call three main plant parts. We have spores, we have mycelium, and we have mushroom. You know, they can, they can sprout. You can move into the mushroom stage like overnight, right? It can be really rapid. Well, for certain mushrooms, and, and, and especially in warm climates, in warm climates, some mushrooms will come up and, and they will... Uh, mature in three to four days. I mean, they can come up very quickly. But but here's one of the interesting things about that. Oftentimes we, we think, oh, gee, that mushroom came up overnight. The fact is, is that uh, most people, when we're walking around, we don't notice the mushroom until it's actually up and mature. Mm. It has to start out as a little tiny primordia and then a button. And oftentimes in those stages, we do not see it. It's right. amazing how we can walk around and not see the mushrooms all around us, especially small ones. Uh, but when it gets big enough, it's like 
boy, there's that mushroom and where did it come from? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I just wanted to point out one other thing and then we're going to move on to talk about the, um, the medically active components, but the, the substrate is really important. The food, as you mentioned, I mean, it's, and I think this is, has to do with the art of cultivation and, you know, the fact that China has been amazing in this arena is that the substrate, you know, the nutrients they need really can be wildly different, you know, varying from, from, from mushroom to mushroom. Isn't that correct? And Oh, absolutely. The uh, different mushrooms will utilize different types of substrates. And again, when we talk about substrates, that's the nutritional, uh, what they're growing on. That's what's providing the nutrition to the mushrooms. And, and just like, for example, when you look at the button mushroom in the supermarkets, that's grown on a compost based on straw. The shiitake mushroom grows on wood, wood logs or sawdust. And here's what's really interesting is that most medicinal mushrooms are wood decomposers. And, and, and that substrate is what has the precursors that actually allow that mushroom to produce a lot of those valuable compounds that we're right. interested in. Well, it's, that substrate, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have those uh, compounds in that mushroom. Now, for some, isn't the wood specific? Like it's not going to grow on all trees. Oh, that's absolutely right. Yes. In, 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 in fact, certain mushrooms, certain species will grow on, for example, deciduous trees. It'll grow on, on uh, hardwoods. Uh, others may grow on softwoods or, or even certain, like what we have out here, we have a lot of conifers. Certain mushrooms will grow on conifers, but they will not grow on uh, um, hardwoods. So yes, the, the wood is very specific. Uh, of course, there are multiple tree types that are, are softwoods that that mushroom can grow on, but some, some mushrooms are very specific to specific species. Like, for example, um, chaga right. refers uh, birch trees. So you find chaga in birch forests. That's where you would mainly find chaga, although there are a few other species that are close to that, like beech, that could grow the chaga, but primarily it grows on birch. That's so interesting. All right, so let's talk about the medicinal value of the different fungal stages. Just w walk me through all the active compounds and, you know, define them and, you know, maybe some of, you know, what makes them active. Sure. Well, the, what's really interesting about mushrooms is that their cell wall is made up of beta-glucan. So 50% of the fungal cell wall is made up of beta-glucans. And that, that's true of both the mycelium and the mushroom, that cell wall, 50%. And it varies with species, but it can be, it's primarily 50% of the cell wall. Now, there's also a compound in mushrooms called chitin. And chitin is, you think of chitin, usually you think, okay, crab shell or something like that. Well, right. a, crab, a crab uses calcium carbonate and other minerals to produce a very hard shell. A mushroom does not, but it has chitin in it, which is a structural carbohydrate. And that means that in general, mushrooms are more difficult to digest. They don't really digest much in our stomach, like the beta-glucans will pass right through and they will then be uh, do their work in the intestines. So, so these beta-glucans, they are the primary active compounds in all of the medicinal mushrooms and what's interesting about a beta-glucan and and they're they're in all mushrooms so all mushrooms have beta-glucans but it is the architecture of that beta-glucan and these are beta-1316 uh -huh. that's very different from a beta-glucan you would find in a cereal grain which is a beta-1314 so each mushroom will have a specific architecture of beta-glucan, and that architecture, uh, how this beta-glucan is structured, will be the difference between, let's just say, a reishi mushroom that is highly active and uh, some other, like maybe a um, agaricus mushroom that is less active. So all mushrooms will have a certain amount of activity, but it's that beta-glucan structure that will determine exactly how active that is. So, so what, what um, one has to really know, and this is what scientists have, have shown us, is that the 
these beta-glucans and the, uh, the specific ones in different mushrooms, they've determined that, okay, that, that means this particular mushroom is very active and has shown that in the tests that they, um, they're doing uh, in all their research. So let me just, let me, I wanted to just ask you a few points before we move on. So, so the beta-glucans differ from mushroom to mushroom uh, and ha and perhaps I know that there are some shared medicinal properties that we'll talk about, but perhaps the unique attributes have to do with the slightly different beta glucan structure, mushroom to mushroom. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. And and one of the ways that they've determined that is that you know a lot of the work with beta glucans has been in anti tumor studies. That's really where they focused and. When they're doing those studies, and most of the studies are either in vitro or in vivo studies, what they found is specific mushrooms have activities um, that work with certain cancer systems that they're using. So they can specifically note that, okay, this mushroom seems to be more active with this type of tumor, uh, and another mushroom is more active with this other type of tumor. So that's one of the ways that they've determined that a specific mushroom could be more beneficial to a specific cancer. Okay, and we'll circle back and talk to that, talk about that at the end, and 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 so forth. Listen, I just wanted to kind of nail you down on um, what they're actually doing. I mean, if they bypass digestion in the stomach and do their, you know, in a, and and become active in the small in the in the intestinal tract, and in the, I mean, what what do you what do you mean? I mean, how are well, we? Well, we, you know, it's really interesting because we actually have receptor sites for beta-glucans in our intestines. Uh, um, in one area called Pears Patch is one of yep. the areas they've identified. And right. so these beta-glucan receptor sites are there uh, when the beta-glucans from the mushrooms uh, enter the intestines and reach these sites. And these sites are in various locations. They'll reach the sites and then it's almost like a lock and key. They'll hit these receptor sites and then that will stimulate the production of macrophages, uh, NK cells, helper T cells. So uh, uh, one of the sites that they've identified is uh, what's called Dectin-1. That's one of the major uh, sites that they've uh, identified. So that's actually how they will stimulate our, our um, immunity. It's through the production of increased immune cells. And they're considered biological response modifiers. Biological response modifiers. It's a wonderful term. It was actually uh, coined by a man named uh, Dr. Goro Chihara, and he was the Japanese scientist that discovered and actually um, um, purified a compound called lentinin, which yes. is a beta-glucan, uh, 1316 beta-glucan from shiitake mushroom. And shiitake is called, uh, its botanical name is Lentinula edotes. And so he termed this compound lentinin, and it was developed into a, an anti-cancer adjuvant in Japan. Yeah, that's very, it's really interesting. Um, okay, so let's keep going through the, the other constituents we want to be thinking about. Well, you know, mushrooms also have a sterol, which is called ergosterol. We have cholesterol, so its, it's action is very similar in terms of what it, it does for us as organisms. Ergosterol is interesting because it's actually pro-vitamin D. Right. So may, maybe, maybe uh, um, some people have heard about, oh, yeah, mushrooms have uh, high levels of vitamin D. Not true. Mushrooms do not have high levels. They have actually low levels of vitamin D, but they have ergosterol, which is a precursor. So if you actually expose this precursor, so if you expose the mushroom tissue to UV light, that pro-vitamin D will actually turn into vitamin D2. So you can get vitamin D, D2 again, from a fungal source, which is Mushrooms. In fact, a lot of the vitamin D2 that's out there in the marketplace actually comes from yeast, which is a fungus, and and yeast actually also has beta-1,3 glucans, and there are yeast uh, beta-glucan products out in the market. But ergosterol uh, also has uh, recently they've been looking more at ergosterol. It has some uh, anti-tumor properties, 
Uh, it's an antioxidant, so it's a really interesting compound. The, the other thing about ergosterol, which, which I use in my work, is that ergosterol it has been something used by the grain industry for uh, probably 50 years to test grain for fungal contamination. Oh, interesting. So, so if, if you are testing a product and it's got uh, certain levels of ergosterol, the grain people will say, we have to reject that grain because there's too much fungus in this grain. Because that's one of the, one of the things that is really important. I mean, there can be um, aspergillus, which will produce aflatoxins in mm -hmm. grain. So they test and have tested grains all the time for ergosterol. So I use ergosterol as a test. We test all of our, our product lots for ergosterol, and it tells me the level of, of fungal matter. So, so having that ergosterol test is, is a one way to test. If a product doesn't have ergosterol, there's no fungal matter in it. Just like if a product does not have beta-glucans, there is no fungal matter in there. You have to you have to have those compounds in that product to actually be assured that that is a fungal product. Right. So ergosterol is a really really interesting compound, and and I can use I use it in in our quality control. Um, the, the other there are secondary metabolites. Mushrooms produce uh, many different secondary metabolites. Triterpenoids in reishi, which are are the bitter compounds which make reishi mushroom bitter are triterpenoids. Triterpenoids have been used uh, in China extensively for people with liver problems. Um, triterpenoids are also antioxidants. Um, they occur in reishi, they occur in chaga, um, a few other, the wood composer, decomposers like uh, Philinus. Triterpenoids are what to me make reishi a very special mushroom. It, it has not just a very high level of beta-glucans, but it also has a very high amount of triterpenoids. So that, that makes reishi very special in my opinion. So, so one of the things that, that I've done through my studies is, is figured out how much of these compounds occur in different plant parts. And that's one way that I can measure commercial products, including my own, to, to essentially have a fingerprint where I can say, okay, here's the fingerprint. Here's the quality fingerprint for this product, beta-glucans, ergosterol, triterpenoids. Very important for that. Yes. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this content, you might want to know about our functional medicine clinic immersion programs available to all qualified practitioners who want to advance their applied clinical skills and build confidence in helping even their toughest cases. Delivered fully online, our program provides live mentorship option, access to our clinic's discussions of real patient cases, teach-ins with expert colleagues, and the opportunity to become part of an engaged and nurturing community of peers. Most importantly, you'll get the support you need to bridge the gap between functional medicine theory and practice. Spaces for our one-year mentorship option are limited, so early application is advised. Please visit drcarefitzgerald.com, choose the Professionals tab, and select Professional Education Programs to find out more about the options available and to apply. And now back to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Well, like, I think let's talk about, you know, what's basically changed my practice after our first conversation. Um, you know, you, as you just, as you mentioned earlier, you started applying some of this, this technology and along with some other analytical technologies to determine um, the active constituents in mushroom products. And I, I, I just, you know, you've published a white paper and we're going to make it available on our, on the show notes. So folks, you'll, you'll have access to um, all of the content we're mentioning, mentioning here today, or at least links to, to be able to access it. But um, you, 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 you've, it sounds like you've always been putting attention to product quality, but then analytically we've leaped forward and some of the, some of the tools have evolved and um, you're looking at, you know, products that were routinely prescribing your products, et cetera. And just, I don't know, talk, talk to me about, about that. 
Well, in, in 2012, and, and the, the very first analytical um, methods that we used were actually back in the 1990s, where we were working with a, a, a pharmacologist at University of British Columbia, and we developed testing methods for reishi triterpenoids. And that was before anybody out there had those methods, were testing tri for triterpenoids, but we were testing for our extracts. Now, now, the one thing that we could never get, and we started this back in the 1990s was testing for the beta-glucans. And, and I, I actually, in this lab at University of British Columbia, we were looking for a beta-glucan method. And the only method out there was a method that, that not only would, would um, find your, your fungal beta-glucans, but also serial beta-glucans or any other. So it would be a very broad measure of beta-glucans and or polysaccharides. So there was literally no good method for that. It's like, um, for example, uh, when you're testing for carbohydrates in food, there is no specific test per se for carbohydrates. It, it ultimately, the carbohydrate number comes from after you've got all the no other numbers together, that carbohydrate number is what's left. Mm. Well, in 2012, I discovered a method for the analysis of fungal beta-glucans. And this analysis had been there, unbeknownst to me, since 2004. It's an enzymatic method. And again, it is, and, and it's produced by a company called Megazyme. And this company is the world's leader in enzyme technologies. And, and the company's president is an expert in this and has been working on, uh, on uh, poly, uh, polysaccharides and carbohydrate analysis since the 80s. So this co amazing company, great test. I took that um, beta-glucan test and I, I, perform, I, I um, um, created or, or I did a white paper. And this white paper was, uh, I took 40 samples of commercial products that were out on the internet. Um, I had 95 samples in total. Uh, 10 of those samples were just dried mushroom because I used a dried mushroom as my, my baseline. Okay, what is it in this dried mushroom that is present. So that's, that's a baseline there. How much beta-glucan, how much ergosterol. Uh, I also measured many of our mushroom extracts. So what I found was that the majority of these commercial products, and, and let me just say this, um, these commercial products that I tested were mycelium products. And these mycelium products are produced in a laboratory on sterilized grain. So they'll, they'll sterilize grain in, in an autoclavable bag. They will inoculate it with a pure culture of whatever mushroom species, the mycelium of that species. They will incubate this bag of grain for 30 to 60 days. Once that grain is fully covered with the mycelium, they will then take the grain covered mycelium, they will dry it and grind it to a powder. Now, they have not removed the grain from that uh, product, and, and the grain is not even close to being fully consumed. So what we found with these 40 different products that I bought on the internet that were based on myceliated grain, what we found is that they were primarily what's called alpha-glucan. And that's the beauty of the Megazyme test because the Megazyme test will give us the amount of beta-glucan, but it also gives us alpha-glucan. So with this one test, we get to see uh, the beta-glucan and the alpha-glucans, which are starches. And, and what's interesting is that a mushroom does not produce starch. In fact, a mushroom, like us, produces glycogen. But the amount of glycogen in that mushroom through our testing, we discovered the amount of glycogen is quite low. Uh, it's generally speaking, less than 5% is, uh, uh, comes up uh, as an alpha glucan in our test for a mushroom or our mushroom extracts. Whereas in these myceliated grain products, the alpha glucan or starch came out at anywhere from 30 to 60%. In fact, some of these products 
were primarily starch as much as 70 or 80 percent it was just it was just the exact opposite of what you'd expect because with a with a dried mushroom or our mushroom extracts we would have a beta glucan level of 25 to 50 percent and a alpha glucan of less than five percent whereas with the myceliated grain products we would have a beta glucan level a mean amount of 6% beta-glucan and a level of alpha that was a mean of around 30 to 40%. So it was completely inverted, low beta-glucan, high alpha-glucan, which is just the absolute opposite of what you would expect to get in a medicinal mushroom. Right. So nothing no medically active compounds present. Well, th well this is exactly right. Or I mean or hardly any hardly any and the fact of the matter is you know it's almost like you know the way I uh, look at it it's like buying an herbal product that has been put on a carrier and and most carrier materials are polysaccharides they actually show up in this megazyme test when we when we test these products so you can test a product for maltodextrin or dextrose so you, you actually know how much carrier material is in that particular product. So the test just basically pulled the curtain back on all of these different so-called mushroom products that were on the market. And this is the thing that was really difficult was that these are products that when you look at the front label, the label says, for example, reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, and then it'll have a picture of a mushroom. And oftentimes it'll have a little, a little gold seal that says made from 100% organic mushroom. Well, it was not mushroom at all. And if, if you were lucky when you turned it over in the supplements facts panel, maybe, and just maybe, it would say mycelium. And, and maybe in the other ingredients it would say myceliated rice or myceliated oats. But... Most people, when they go shopping or looking for supplements, they look at that front panel, and if they see a picture of a mushroom, and if it says mushroom, then they think they are getting mushroom. I mean, what do you think of when you think of the word mushroom, Kara? Well, I think of those, you know, those forest critters, you know, sprouting <laughs> out. <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, I mean you know, right. and those, those are what have been used traditionally in traditional Chinese medicine that's yes. that's what we we use that's what a mushroom is and and just to be clear here too there's been a lot of research on mycelium but when they do their research on mycelium they're growing pure mycelium in a laboratory mm. fractionating it and doing their research on the fractions so they can, they, you know, it's really easy to say, oh, well, mycelium's got uh, medicinal properties. Yes, it does. Mycelium has beta-glucans. It has other properties. It doesn't have those secondary metabolites that we expect to get from a reishi or a chaga because this mycelium in the lab is not grown on wood. So, so there has been research on mycelium, but these products are not pure mycelium. These products are actually mostly residual grain and unfortunately they're masquerading as mushroom and so so in our testing with the beta-glucan test we immediately unmasked them and and then the other the other thing that we did is we tested all of these 95 samples for ergosterol which if there is fungal tissue in there then we will have uh, the normal amount of ergosterol that we'd expect to find in our dried mushroom. Well, it turned out that most of these products had an ergosterol level about one-tenth of what is in a mushroom. So this was a secondary indicator for us that there was very little fungal tissue mm -hmm. in these products. Well, listen, I... Let me, I want to just back up and kind of clarify a handful of things. From your research, you're not just pulling, you, you know, you were not just testing product that one could buy in their neighborhood chain pharmacy. I mean, you were looking at products that us clinicians would be accessing. I mean, you were just looking at the full lang landscape of products out there, correct? 
absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, and we and you know we bought these products right off the internet, so they're in bottles, capsules. We emptied out the capsules, and and by the way, these we didn't run these tests. We sent these labs off to third-party laboratories. And here's what's really great about our study: we had a laboratory in Vancouver that could do the Megazyme test, so that's where most of the tests were run. But we also sent duplicate samples of about 20 of these uh, samples to Megazyme itself. That's right. Just to verify that the lab we were using was performing the test properly and the results lined up perfectly. So we have total confidence in our work with the beta-glucans. And then the lab we used for agostrol was a third-party lab out in in uh, grain country out in Minnesota that does ergosterol level, uh, testing using HPLC. We use them for our ergosterol. So, so it's not something where, oh yeah, we're running a test in our own lab and anything like that. And, and oh yeah, would these samples come from wherever? No, the samples that we're using here, dried mushrooms that were, were validated dried mushrooms, um, bottled products from multiple suppliers. And these suppliers of these bottle products, by the way, there's about five companies in the United States that produce these products. And, and here's the, the reason why they produce these, these products, because growing mushrooms is expensive. I can grow mushrooms. I can put them into your market. There you've got your fresh shiitake. I get $5 a pound for the fresh shiitake that I've grown. Supplements are dried powders. Mushrooms are 90% water. The minute you dry out that pound of shiitake, you have to get $50 for that same pound of shiitake mushroom. Uh -huh. Economics simply don't work. So what people have done in the US is they will grow out this mycelium on grain, which Again, this, this is a process that's been around since 1932. It was a process that was uh, began in the United States for producing, actually, believe it or not, for producing mushroom spawn. That's what that process is all about. There's nothing special about it. There's no, you know, a lot of people are oh, proprietary process. No, this thing is easy. You can do it at home in a, with a pressure cooker. You can, you can produce this mushroom spawn. That's what companies in the United States started to do because the economics for actually producing a mushroom just didn't work in the supplement industry. It worked fine if you wanted to grow mushrooms for food, but you could not do it for supplement use. It just economically did not make sense. And, th and that's really the unfortunate part about this is that it's, that's the reason. It's not because these products are so much better or anything like that, or it's an upgraded product to those old, you know, traditional medicinal mushrooms, not at all. That has nothing to do with the mushroom is what's been used for thousands of years. That's what all the research is based upon is the mushroom, the actual fruiting body. And those mushrooms are produced on natural materials that have all the precursors that we're looking for that can produce these special compounds. So, um, what do we actually need to be looking at on the label? Like what are, what, how do we know we're getting product? Give me, what, 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 what is it going to say on the label so we know we're getting true fruiting body? We're actually getting the mushroom. Well, the very first thing and the easiest thing to look for, if it says uh, made in America, made in the USA, it is absolutely 95% certain that that product will be myceliated grain. And um, the bulk and of that, the vast majority is going to be, we have no medicinal activity. It's starch. That's right. That, and that's it, absolutely right. Incidentally, it's expensive, it's expensive starch. It's extremely expensive. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. It, it's, it's such an amazingly great business for whoever's doing it um, because it's very, very cheap to produce these products. I mean, you know, when you're growing mushrooms, you need an army of people just to harvest those mushrooms. Yeah. 
And then you've got a huge volume that you have to put into dryers and, and dry them out. And, um, whereas with this, it's a laboratory process. It's very simple. Um, and at the end, you just grind this uh, myceliated, gr dried myceliated grain up. And again, our tests show that it's primarily starch. And, and there's a number of other things you can do. Just pour, pour the stuff out of the capsule, taste it. Uh, one of the, the ones you can really see very well is reishi. Reishi is bitter. You taste this reishi that these companies are selling, and it tastes bland. It tastes almost sweet. It has no bitterness to it. Most of those products will be very bland. In fact, one of the, one of the big companies producing those products in the U.S., they actually, when they're advertising the product, they say, our product will go with everything because it has a very bland taste and flavor profile. In fact, it doesn't even taste like mushrooms. Isn't right. that great? Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, listen, I, got, I need to ping you questions here because I just have some more questions and then I want to talk a little bit about you know, concentration, dosing, duration, et cetera. But, sure. um, okay, so what are the main grain they're growing this on? What are the main players? Well, the, the grains they're growing it on, a lot of people are growing it on rice. Mm -hmm. um, another other company grows it on oats. Uh -huh. And another company will grow it on uh, sorghum grain. Okay, and this is not uh, this is not necessarily noted on the label, correct? That is correct. There so are some companies will put it on the label, but most companies will not note it on the label. So you just simply won't know that you've got a bunch of starch from grain X. Well, again, again, if you if you if you um, look for made in USA. Uh, and a lot of companies will put that on there because one of the things that they do out there and one of the things that, especially now to counter my work, they say not made in China. Well, right. the fact of the matter is, is that we grow and process all of our mushrooms in China because that's really the only place that you can do it. And they have tens of thousands of small growers. And as you noted, I went to China in 1997 and took uh, a U.S. organic certifier with me, and we had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China in 1997. It's all of the mushrooms are certified by a German certifier. We test everything twice, once before it leaves China, again when it gets over here. Um, so that's a very important part of quality control. But if it says made in the USA, you pretty much know. And, and the other thing that people can do, which I love, is the iodine right. starch test. Yeah, no, listen, oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to link to that. I know, I know what you said. I, know. <laughs> I have more questions for you. So the iodine starch test folks, we'll put a link to a YouTube. You can just, you know, add your starch to water, throw in some iodine and if it turns black, you know, or you can add your mushroom capsule to water. And if it's all starch. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. That's I just, right. I just watched that YouTube video. I appreciated that. So the taste test is one that's super easy. Does it taste like a yeah. mushroom? Does it smell like a mushroom? And then if you really want to geek out, you know, you could, at home with the kids, you can do an iodine starch <laughs> test, which actually sounds, which is, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. Um, the other thing, I guess the, this, I just want to back up and then we're going to move into talking about the medicinally property. We're going to talk about some of the top ones, but um, I just, I'm just curious, how did you miss the Megazyme test? I mean, were they, are, were they just using this technology elsewhere? Um, I mean, were they looking at mushrooms? I mean, what were, I mean, who, how did your, how did your paths, you know, <laughs> like not cross for a decade? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Well, I have to tell you that, that from about 2004 till 2012, I really uh, kind of fell asleep. I was kind of like Rip Van Winkle and I, <laughs> I was not paying a lot of attention to my business. I was not that engaged in it. Uh, it was doing well. It was not necessarily growing a lot, but that was okay. Uh, it was at a level that was fine for me. I didn't have to work a lot. Uh, company was moving along. So I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to what was going on out in the marketplace. And in 2012, I, I kind of woke up and I looked out at the, the landscape. I mean, you know, I'd stopped doing trade shows. I'd stopped really doing advertising. So I looked at the landscape in 2012 and I went, holy smokes, most c products out there, maybe I mean, Cara, it might have been 95% of the products on the market were myceliated grain. Hmm. And, and I, I saw that. And, and look, I know 
from my experience as a mushroom grower, as a mushroom spawn grower, uh, as somebody who's produced those products. I mean, I was producing uh, reishi myceliated grain myself in the, in the 90s because we couldn't grind up reishi mushroom uh, fine enough to put it in a capsule. So I actually grew reishi mycelium on millet grain and sold it for a while. I, I let go of that uh, in the early 2000s because we could all of a sudden get reishi ground to a fine powder and, and produce. But, but basically, I, I'd fallen asleep. And when I woke up and I saw that, I just thought, you know, this is this is the worst thing possible right. because I've worked for years and years and years to yeah. introduce medicinal mushrooms into the marketplace. And here it is. There's no medicinal mushroom products out there. Very few medicinal mushroom products. Instead, most people are getting what I call a facsimile product. And it's and the worst part about it it was being sold as a mushroom. In other words, playing on the fact that mushrooms were what had been used traditionally, what most of the research was based upon, calling the product mushroom when it was not in any way well, a mushroom. I mean, did you know that you were actually selling starch back in the 90s? Did you know no, that? No, I, I did not. I did okay. not know okay. that the product was, I mean, we grew it actually for quite a long time up to, 90 days so we had quite a mass of mycelium and later on when when we analyzed some of my old product it was actually a fairly good ratio but no it was still like up to 30 percent starch so no i i uh, i thought oh gee you know it's it's fine we got the mycelium there and it's probably yeah. good but literally um that was a, a huge mistake but that that allowed me to certainly no i mean i have through my experience, I know how it works. I know how mushrooms are grown. I know how, how mycelia grain is grown. I'm one of the few people out there in this industry that has that kind of background. Very few people have any idea of how these products are produced. And right, right. that's why it's so easy. And that's why these products got sold out there. And if you look at the information that some of these companies put out on the internet or with the product, it is so full of misstatements and misinformation and and uh, half truths it was i mean i couldn't i couldn't stand it i All read right. let me, i read let, about these companies i just i was really disturbed let me um i just want to i want to circle back and and get us on track here but i want to mention that there's a handful of, there's some nice peer reviewed articles that you've sent me you're the lead you're the author on one of them but um the folks over at Megazyme have published in the Journal of AOAC International in 26, and these are recent publications, just, you know, demonstrating what Jeff's talking about us uh, today. So we'll make sure that we put uh, links to the abstracts of those papers oh, yeah, you know, on Karen, our site. Those, those papers, uh, you know, what, those papers were so important because, you know, a lot of companies would just look and say, oh yeah, there's just another, what they say is there's just another company and they're trying to get a leg up by saying our products are bad and their products are good. The fact is, is that Megazyme itself analyzed, this, did the same thing. They went through and they bought all these products off the internet. They, we supplied them with dried mushrooms. They did a study. It was published in a peer reviewed journal of AOAC International, which was basically, yep. they, they are the organization that sets the standards for testing. So mm -hmm. they essentially validated the Megazyme test and it showed exactly the same thing that we showed. And then, and then to have United States Pharmacopeia do a study on reishi where they used right. 19 samples of reishi products and only five of 19 actually passed the battery of tests that they did. And, and here's what's interesting about that is that three of the five products that passed were our reishi extracts. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure you were glad to get that. Uh. <laughs> well, 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 well yeah. And, and, you know, well, the fact is, is that, you know, that was so important because that validated my white paper, which yeah. a lot of people were just, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just, you know, somebody looking for, you know, competitive advantage. No, right. not at all. That's validated what I was saying. And I'm trying to wake up the industry and practitioners to the fact of, look, you're, you're using these so-called mushroom products on your patients and they're not mushroom. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. And we're using them more and more and we're using them in conditions that, um, 
really need the medicinally active constituents. We're using them routinely in cognitive decline, in autoimmunity, we're using uh, mushrooms in, um, well, cancer, as you mentioned early, um, you know, other neurodegenerative conditions, and just, you know, we're using, we're using these regularly and, and, and wanting to see the kinds of outcomes that we read about in the literature. So this, um, I just, I, I think this conversation has been, uh, has been really important. Now, one of the things you and I talked about offline, and this is going to just take us home, we'll finish We'll finish this conversation and then, you know, perhaps circle back and have a whole conversation on um, the, how to use these uh, in practice. I mean, I think, I think a clinical discussion on, on, on the use of medical, medicinal mushrooms is important, but we're, 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 we're out of time at this point. But there's a, you know, strength. I mean, using whole mushroom, using, you know, mushroom powder and then, you know, um, extracts. And the and the strength can can rise exponentially when you're using different extract strengths. So, um, just talk a little bit about that, and uh, and then we'll close. Okay. Well, well, you know the way I look at it is that a a a just a straight mushroom. You can you can eat that mushroom. It doesn't digest well. You you'll get benefits from it. And I, I tell people eat mushrooms. Put it in their diet. You you will get benefits from it. But what we do with our products is uh, we'll, we'll do what we call our, our entry level, let's say it's called a one-to-one -one extract, where we'll take those dried mushrooms, we'll grind them to a powder, we'll put them in very large tanks, we'll cook them at 80 degrees C for, for three hours, then we will concentrate the fluid down to where it's more of a, uh, a syrupy, it will still have that mushroom powder in it, we will send it to the spray dryer, uh, well, it'll end up being a, a fine powder that is a one kilo in, one kilo out product. But what we like about that product is that we have pre-digested the mushroom powder. Uh, the mushroom also, because it is a powder, we've ground it up so that you have a lot more surface area there. And I think that's important for a lot of products. So that's what we would uh, basically, again, be sort of like an entry-level product for us. But then we also produce extracts where they are... Uh, a higher concentration, maybe a four to one, eight to one, 10 to one. We have a ratio extract that's a 16 to one. In those extracts, we would be cooking the mushroom um, three times in, in water. Uh, one of those times, if it's a ratio or, or something that has triterpenoids, we'd, we'd use water, alcohol in one of those cooks. Uh, at that point, we'd feel like the fiber has been completely, uh, we've sucked everything out of that fiber. One of the things that is very important for people to know is that we want that extract to be as close to the profile of the initial material as possible. So with our more concentrated extracts, we are extracting them the three times we are then, you can't get 16 kilos into one kilo. So at that point we will, we will filter out the fiber and we consider the fiber to be inert at that point in time, but we're not trying to build up any one particular component. We want to have that profile of everything, every constituent. We want that to be in there. Now, it won't always be perfect as you uh, concentrate, but we're not, a lot of people try to confuse by saying, oh yeah, they're just trying to build up this one and they're leaving behind all this others. That's not what we do. There may be some herbs out there where that's, that's done and that's important. That's not what we do with our extracts. We want them to be in the pretty much as close to the original profile of that mushroom as possible. And, and, and you know, the, the thing about, um, remember this about, about uh, the mushroom beta-glucans. Most of the research has shown that it's the soluble beta-glucans that have the activity. They say, and a lot of the top Japanese researchers say that it's the insoluble beta-glucans are not active. I, I'm not so sure. Uh, that's where I think that our one-to-one -one extract with the fiber still in there, there still may be activity beta-glucan-wise uh, with that insoluble fiber because there are a lot of, lot of insoluble beta-glucans in that mushroom. But as we uh, concentrate them, what you're going to be getting is much uh, higher concentration of the soluble beta-glucans, not the insoluble ones. Okay. 
All right. Well, really important discussion. I'm sure, you know, we put a lot of energy in as clinicians. We're dialoguing about product quality all of the time, and we really do the best we can to make sure we vet the companies that we are using to prescribe to our patients. And I think, um, you know, I think today is going to be a real eye-opener for, for many of us. And I look forward, folks, to hearing what you think about it. So be sure to shoot me an email. And again, we will have links to the publications and Jeff's white paper on the show notes. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Kara. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making new frontiers in functional medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote new frontiers in functional medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.